My name is Ricardo Laganaro. I'm from Brazil, and I still cannot see my notes here in the feedback, so I have to look at the slides all the time, but okay. Uh, and um, I'm here to talk a little bit about the line and the piece that I did, but Ben also asked me to talk about my vision about VR and how it was when I began and how it transformed during the way and lead me to here with the line and, and how this piece is going. So the year was 2012 and I was working in this production company in Brazil called O2 Films owned by Fernando Meirelles who did these films. And I was a VFX supervisor, a CGI coordinator and I also directed my flatties at the time. And then uh, he received an invitation to participate in a bidding for making an experience for the biggest venue that was going to be constructed for the Olympics in Rio 2016, four years before it, right? And uh, it, it was the Museum of Tomorrow designed by Santiago Calatrava. And uh, they had in the entrance a big portal, a cosmic portal. So if the museum was going to talk about tomorrow, this entrance experience would talk about the past and the, pre and the present. 14 billion years, compressed in eight minutes. And then Fernando asked me to go to this office and talk to him and said, uh, I have this really beautiful briefing that was wrote for, uh, for the curator of the museum, the cosmologist, and it was super technical. It was 67 pages and sometimes it was super poetical, sometimes it was super technical. And he said, for me, this 67 pages makes no sense as a director. The only slide that I can relate to is this one. So I'm going to decline this project because I don't have any idea how to make a project like that in a curved screen. The do uh, it was like a full dome, a 360 full dome with projections to the floor, completely different from a cinema screen. And, it's, and he said, but there is someone here in the company that I think can make this project. And this person is you. So I'd like you to go to your home and sleep well and think about the project and give me a proposal tomorrow morning to see if I'm going to recommend you in my place. Of course, I didn't sleep that night. And then I, I was wondering why I think he thought I could be the one who could make this project. And then I have to go back a little bit more in time, 2001. I'm part of a micro generation called the Shenials, right? And besides being contemporary of the Beckenham couple and NSYNC, I experienced uh, an analog childhood and uh, digital adolescence and adulthood. And because of it, when I began to work in 2001, uh, I was kind of a translator between the digital world and the analog people. They, was, they were afraid of touching computers at that time, right? And in this company, we did a lot of stop motion animation and 2D hand drawing animation. And we were beginning to work uh, with digital components. Like it was the middle of this revolution in filmmaking between the digital and the analog process. And each project, we had a really different way to work and make the, the projects. And because at the time, the timing was different. So to make a commercial or a music video, we could take like six months. We had time to research and develop and understand in the middle of the experience of the production process, what we were doing. And I learned to work and I learned to do films in that mindset. So back to 2012, I woke up the next day and went to talk to Fernando. 
uh, I said to him, I also have no idea of how to make this project, but I think I know how to create the right conditions to make the solution appear during the process with the right team. I said, okay, that's a good plan. So I will decline the project. I will recommend you in my place. I know they will be a little bit disappointed, so I will lie to them and say that I'll be close to the project the whole time. And we were in the bidding. Uh, we made a video concept. We won it. And of course, he, he was joking. And he was super close to the project all the time. And for me, it was a privilege to have someone like him helping me to think about the project. Then we have six months of Brazilian bureaucracy waiting for start the project. And then in the middle of 2013, we actually began the production. And then my nightmare began. Because we are doing a film for a really, really big dome that neither me or the team or the curators or everyone that was going to approve it, never, we, we've never been in a place like that, in an experience like that. We didn't have the feeling of how it was to be inside that place. So we began to write scripts, trying to say how the, the spirit was going to be, but we couldn't understand if it was working or not. And we even like did some shootings with high-speed cameras and made some, made some compositions, but we were always seeing what we were doing in a flat screen, in a small flat screen. I tried a lot of different scripts, a lot of formats to try to show what we are feeling, what people would feel. And we were doing versions of it, versions of it, and I was presenting to, to them, and they were saying, looks like it's okay, but nobody was sure about it. We even rented some inflatable, inflatable domes, and I was like desperate to understand how I was going to be inside that place and how it was going to feel to be there. But even these domes, they were like curved screens on the top of our head, so we, were not, we didn't have the feeling of being there physically with our bodies. And this was this is a print screen of my desktop. We had like 14 months with different versions of scripts and presentations. And what I didn't realize at the time that I was creating a trap to myself because I was using the same workflow of a film production, writing a script, making beautiful concept words, and asking everyone to imagine how it was going to be the experience. And that was impossible. Then I tried VR. And I knew that this could be my last resource. I knew at the time, because we had a really big CGI department in the company, that I was the coordinator, that we could build in virtual reality a dome with the same sense of scale. And we could feel how it was to be there and prototype and iterate and understand what we were doing. But even if today it's hard to put someone in a headset, imagine in 2014 with a bunch of people that were call with everything I was presenting to them for the last one year. So I had a happy coincidence because finally, after one year and a half, the structure of the dome was ready. So I decided to cover it, like improvised cover, and we began to project some images that were like close to the image that we were planning to do. And we also put some speakers to have the soundtrack on it. And then I brought everyone inside the dome, the crew, the curators, the people from the government, everyone that was going to approve it. And when they were there feeling it and understanding what was to be inside that really, really, really big space surrounded by image by all sides, I presented them 
surprisingly, a VR headset. And I said, this is the feeling. Now try this. This is the story that I'm trying to tell. And then for the first time during the whole process, everybody laughed. And we were happy because everyone stopped to think and talk about their own version of the story. And everybody was feeling the same thing. And we could discuss about the same thing together. And then the project went forward. We delivered it by the end of 2015. It was a huge success. And by in between 2014 and 16, I also directed more 12 cinematic pieces in that company that went really well. And because of that, I was selected by Oculus for Good uh, to be part of the project called VR for Good. I was the only one, it was the first edition, and I was the only one from the South Hemisphere that was selected, which is good from one side, but really sad from the other. Right. And we were doing we were there to make this documentary inside the maximum security prisons in California, the one that Ben talked about it. And the process went really well. And then after that, I realized that I wanted to do VR my whole time, my whole career, because it was like a side job inside of the company. We, had, we were in like the innovation department in the company. And then I found those crazy guys that were founding a VR company in Brazil in 2017. They asked me to be their partners. We began like with less than 10 people, but we, we managed a way to be VC funded. So we increase, increased it really quickly. And now we have the studio where we create our IPs. We have a lab to research a lot of things. And we have Voyager, which is a chain of VR entertainment centers because in Brazil, people can't buy uh, VR headsets. And we want to present it to the Brazilian audience. We have to create this culture of audience also in Brazil. And then I, I was working the first project that I wanted to understand interaction and how to create stories with interactions, not gamings. And then we tried this, this simple experience called Belief that we had really simple graphics, but we had a torch. And we realized in the lab that if you want to make a story that it's in room scale for everyone, we should avoid the controllers and we should avoid the teleportation systems. So we had this torch and everybody had to grab a torch in real life. And we could say to people, grab the real torch. And when they grab it, it was really magical to see because people were afraid to, to walk in VR, like the first time they do room scale. And at the moment that they bend it and they grab it, something clicked on their brains and they forgot that they were in VR and they began to walk like normally and interact with the experience. And even today, it goes really well in our arcades in Brazil. People like to try it for the first time when they're, when they're doing VR. Then I also was part of this project called Objects in Mirror AR Closer Than They Appear. It was in Tribeca, 2018. We did it in a co-production with the guys from Sensorial from New York, really nice guys. And this project have more storytelling there. It was like spatial storytelling because in these cardboard boxes, there were objects there. And when you use this AR, this weird AR goggles, you could see the memories of each one of these boxes. It was really nice to see and to learn how to make people move, sit, bend, stand up, run, to enjoy the experience. And people had a lot of fun, have really great people trying it there, including Ben. And, and it was nice to understand a first layer of storytelling in interactive VR pieces. But then we decided to make my first project that was a real narrative 
interactive narrative that would only work in VR. So for the ones that didn't see it, it will be on the Church of VR these days. I'm going to show a quick trailer of it. So the volume, please. Miniatures. Routine is everything. I'm going to begin again. In a world of miniatures, routine is everything. Happy are those who are on the right track. But wait, wait. What if the right track is actually a detour? What if love is an unknown path after all? Tomorrow I'll be in another session that it's longer, talking the production on the technical and artistical aspects of it. But here I just want to say that like our first premise about this project was to create a story that was driven by the interactions, having really meaningful interactions that would work seamlessly in the experience, not as a game, but as a tool to enhance the feeling of presence. And more than that, from the learnings of the other experience, we want to make people move the entire body to enjoy the experience and use this movement as metaphors for the moments of the narrative arc of the characters. Then we decided to make some classes and study contemporary art because we needed to learn the grammar of the body movement, how we could feel moving, you know, and how we could make people have specific feelings or some feelings that we wanted them to have that were related to the emotional curve of the experience. And then I had one of the most beautiful insights about VR. I was creating films for 15 years and I never thought about my body when I was creating it and I never thought about the body of the users. So for me, one of the most beautiful side effects of virtual reality is that it puts our body back in the center of the intellectual experience again. For a long time, we've been just watching screens and I love screens and I love books and I love everything. But this is giving us the wrong notion that we just have a brain. And, and sorry, that we are our brains and we just have a body, right? We have this feeling that our body is just a vessel for our brain and the brain is who define who we are. And this is not true. We have a brain, but actually we're, we don't have a brain. We are, we have a body, sorry, but we are our body. With our body, we, we live, we learn, we teach, we have fun, we are. And I think this is the kind of experience that are like tailored for VR. And if you create stories that make people move, probably people will be engaged. And listen to the talks in this morning, I was happy because I saw that this is like something that a lot of people are thinking about. So this is the kind of experience that I'm trying to do now. And I'm eager to see what VR will teach me in the next ones. And it will always be scary. And it always will be hard. Like the first day I was talking to Fernando to do the first experience with the Dome in the Museum of Tomorrow. But that's what we love to do. So we'll continue doing. And I hope things will be working well. Thank you very much.